Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Chad and Curtis, the developers behind the upcoming title known as Recursive Ruin. Thanks for joining, you two. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. Of course. I'm glad you could make it, because when I saw this game, a kaleidoscopic narrative puzzle game, it sounds just weird enough to be my jam. But before we dive into the game, we always start with the people first. So uh, let's start with Curtis, uh, and then we'll go to chat after. Uh, I want to know a little bit about uh, you know the two of you. Kind of how did you get started into to gaming in the first place? Well, you know, uh, I would say that it's going to be hard to separate us, really, because uh, we're we're actually twin brothers. Uh, there so you go. Okay, we've done basically almost everything together. Uh, so. Going back to when we were kids, you know, how we got started with games, uh, depending on how far you want to go back. <laughs> how far um, you want to go? <laughs> I would say the thing that like very first started it was just uh, playing games from a young, ch- you know, as young children. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the first game console we ever got was this old Commodore 64 our, wow. our father brought home. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a while back. Yeah. Um, and we were playing games like uh, Battletech, the Crescent Hawks Inception and Ultima mm-hmm. 4, and uh, we loved those games, loved them a lot, and that was probably our first like real love in life, I would say, in a lot of ways, uh, but later, we would find another love in life in the form of music, and between music and games, those have been our kind of our passions all throughout life, uh, and we've luckily gotten to do a lot of both. Um, <laughs> eventually, we ended up going to school. Well, we found... Uh, music or success in music first we went to school for music composition we got a, a master's and then a we got phds uh wow all right yeah. so we got we got phds and something did that you, did you both sorry. go to the same school uh we went to the same undergraduate and we went to the same master's program uh but we went to different phd programs somehow we both ended up in england uh huh. was in sussex i was at bournemouth university in bournemouth uh, so we still were in the same country, even though we went uh, internationally for our PhDs. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, the, we did the music thing, uh, doing all sorts of music, a lot of uh, you know experimental music, a lot of classical music. Eventually, we got into a lot of um, computer music, uh, mm-hmm. kind of experimental electronic music. And our PhDs, we were exploring uh, these kind of complex uh computer software instruments that we were making uh we kind of picked up programming along the way uh to create these collaborative interactive computerized musical systems uh and we had like visuals to go with them and they were like these live performance things and that sounds awesome it was a lot of fun there's some videos you could check online of performances we've done um but that's kind of how we picked up uh, programming and the kind of computer side of things, the right, technical right. aspects. Uh, and then after school, uh, you know, we were deciding what we wanted to do. We could have done the teaching thing, but we were kind of done with school at that point. I'd been, we'd been, in, <laughs> yeah, lots of school. Yeah. 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 Getting your PhD takes a long time. Yes. <laughs> I was, I was at the corner road where I, I had just re- received my master's and I had that opportunity where I was like, do I go for a PhD or do I just start working? And I was like, I don't want to go back for more school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, mean, I will I say, for, sorry. sorry. I was just going to say like for, for me and Curtis, I think a lot of it was, I really like academia and I think there's a lot of people doing super important and interesting work there, but for, for, sure, us, for sure, it was, it was more of, you know, we, we really enjoyed making things that, that was the main thrust of our interest in it. And like, once you go on to do, um, teaching and being a professor, like there are some gigs you can get that are more research oriented, but most of them involve a large amount of teaching. Um, and even then, like a lot of the research is 
you know, it, as it needs to be like thorough and it, it's like assessment and, 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 you know, relating to the, the history of the field. And it's not so much as concerned with just making the thing for making its sake. So right. we both wanted to get into making things to make them, right? So I think a big part of us getting into games was it was a way for us to, I mean, obviously we always loved games, but it was also an avenue for us to make a, a living making something that we cared a lot about. So right. yeah, that's kind of why we made that, that transition into, into games. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It, it's a, a legitimate step, right? Was it as simple or maybe not as simple, but was it as quick as you finishing college, getting your PhDs and then coming back to each other and being like, do you want to start working on games? Like, what was the the step between that, right? I mean, it, they've really always kind of been intertwined. So we, we actually had been involved in games earlier than that, oh, okay. uh, but doing music composition and sound design. Right. Uh, so we uh, actually it started as kind of like a summer job. Uh, we were still in school. And one summer we were like, hey, we need money. Yeah. What do you want to do? And it's like, okay, well, we could work at like the car wash or I could go back to my pool boy job or be <laughs> telemarketers. Uh, but then somebody had the bright idea. I was like, well, we're in school for music composition. So obviously we were going to make money uh, composing music. You know? yeah. uh, so we tried this ridiculous idea where we just tracked down like over 100 game studios. This is back in like 2007 uh, okay. where there weren't as many resources. But we tracked down all these right. people and we just email blasted all of them. And then we got a we got a pretty good gig actually. We ended up composing music for uh, Flagship Studios, who made okay. Hellgate Hellgate London. I don't know if you know that game. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and that was kind of our first, I think, professional um, gig doing anything related to games. That's and then awesome. since that yeah, since that point, um, we just did more sound design and music composition stuff for that sort of thing, but. Uh, we were also, like I said, picking up the technical aspects over many years. Uh, and so, yeah, we would mess with stuff. Uh, like we did a lot of computer graphics and things as visuals for the show, for the shows we were doing. And there were times we would be like, hey, why don't we mess with uh, like a small prototype for a game or like a toy thing or like a little game engine. Um, so we'd been always kind of toying with it and we'd done it professionally here and there. And so by the time we graduated, it, it was like not like a crazy thing. It was just right. kind of like, well... We could do the school thing, or we, maybe we just go further with this game thing we've we've been doing. Yeah, I'd say the biggest leap was more of like I think we were both fairly confident we could like go in and, and be you know professional developers in the industry, but mm -hmm. it was it was a question about like how receptive other people <laughs> would be to hiring these people with like these weird degrees making strange sounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that's why you uh, make you carve your own path with this right exactly yeah so i mean it, it actually worked out like we both got uh, jobs as programmers in in the industry and um yeah i mean it took work and it's it's been a, a long time i think going from you know kind of i would say cautious like you know ch chance and to now I think we're both like very firmly, very good uh, at this objectively. Um, but, you know, in that time, Curtis has, you know, we both did like proper jobs uh, in the industry. And then Curtis has stopped and he went full time. He saved up. He was smart. He saved up a bunch of money and decided it was a great idea to waste it all on making an indie game. <laughs> so, <laughs> great investment. <laughs> well, that's the hope. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm glad to hear it though because looking at the game I'm excited for it. It fits a lot of uh game types that I, I definitely enjoy. So I'm excited for it at least. So hopefully you have more than just me. But uh that being said, let's talk a little bit about not just the game but your studio in general because it is a big step, you know, making that leap from working as a person in the industry to saying creating your own company because there's a lot more that is involved when someone says, I want to make my own game than just making the game itself. There becomes a whole uh, conversation around the logistics and the business side and the marketing side, right? How prepared were you for those pieces? Yeah, that's a good question. So 
like I said, when, when we did that summer job thing, uh, that was actually my first, that was our first time starting a company. So mm-hmm. we, we had kind of already gotten experience with it, uh, where we had set up a corporation and Chad and I were partners and we had to have like articles of organization. We had to have a website, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And, and we did all that back then. Uh, and it ended up, ended up working out. So that experience really helped us this time around because we kind of knew uh, the things that we needed to, to do. Um, and then we were also helped by the fact that I'm, I'm kind of going into this full time. I'm like fully dedicated, but Chad actually keeps, uh, his full time gig. Uh, so he's actually, I don't know, Chad, if you want to talk about your, your day job. Sure. Yeah. I'm a senior lead gameplay engineer at cloud Imperium games, working on star citizen. Very cool. Uh, so that's helpful, obviously. Um, right. Because at least you have, you know, not just the both of you being like, well, we got to just hope it makes it and pull our pool all our resources into this and then just see if it works. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and then on top of that, you know, we had we have worked a lot uh, in music as performers, as composers. We've toured a lot with several bands. So we're kind of used to this idea, at least, of like being an entity that makes things that is like trying to convince other people that it's cool and you should spend money on it. Uh, <laughs> and then like dedicating a lot of time and money to make it happen. Uh, that w- it's all been kind of familiar. Uh, the mm. hardest parts have been like, yeah, roping kind of other people and organizations into the whole thing. Right. So like if it's, it, it's much easier if it's just like kind of us uh, grinding on something to make it as good as it can be. I would say it's harder for us at least personally, just with our personalities. Uh, to be like, okay, now we're going to get uh, a lawyer and we're going to like get contracts and do contract negotiations. And then we're going to get a marketing team and we're going to get voice actors. Uh, that's been a bit more challenging, but it's right. also been uh, fulfilling and, and educating. I want to I wanna quickly uh, touch upon the, the thing that you just mentioned about it's tough because of our personalities. What, did, what exactly did you mean by that? I would say that the the problem with with us is it's twofold. One, we're, we have extremely, as you as you would imagine, extremely similar personalities, uh, which that personality is a very strong personality. So, like we we have very strong opinions, and um, I don't want to say that we butt heads, but you know we can be we can we have strong convictions is maybe the way that I would yeah. put it. You're, uh, so you're passionate, right? We're both very passionate. Yes. And so the good thing is that means that anything that we work on has been vetted very well, but it also means that sometimes decisions can be slow because it, it takes a lot of work and iteration if we have a sticking point. Um, right. But th- the good thing about it is that we're optimistic about our abilities to do anything, which is a good and bad thing, actually. So like, for example, you know, Curtis said that we've been spending years you know, as musicians doing stuff. And what that means is that along the way, we've just decided that we're going to do things. We just decided we're going to teach ourselves C++ and that that's a thing that we can do or um, graphic design or web development or whatever. So, you know, by the time we get here, we've had years making album covers, making websites, you know, making logos, all of that stuff. So we're just doing it. But there are certain things that really do exceed our the possibility of us doing them or they have to be somebody else. So, you know, for example, working with voice actors or working with character artists where we have a really particular artistic uh, direction in mind for the game. Mm -hmm. uh, And we do the vast majority of the art, but character art in particular, I would say is outside of our skill set for the moment, at least. Uh, (laughs) And so it's, it's a challenge because we're so used to owning so much of the process that whenever you bring somebody else in, it's, it's, you have to like take a moment and give them some space, allow them to express themselves, give them useful feedback. um, You know, that kind of thing, give them some rope. Right. And I don't want to, we don't want to like suffocate them, you know, as soon as they like engage with the, the process. Yeah, it's tough. You're right now, I believe, at least from your website, you're uh, saying that you're a two person team at the moment, right? Do you have anyone? Because I'm sure there's there's other pieces that you're having to wrangle people in. But at this time, I'm assuming those are just like contracted for a specific task. And then it's just you two as the main uh, front runners with this project. Am I am I wrong in that? That's right. Uh, So Whenever you look at the game, 
uh, literally everything in the game from audio to music to gameplay uh, we made with the exception of voice acting and character art, which gotcha. obviously <laughs> we can't like morph our voices into somebody else's. Um, <laughs> Uh, the other thing is that we have, uh, we do have a publisher and they, they help us with marketing. So we, okay. we yeah, yeah, that's also kind of collaborative, uh, but ev- yeah, everything else, uh, we do ourselves, you know, the writing, the graphics, the programming, uh, yeah, all of it's just us two. And honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I, I would think we would probably never change that. Really? Um, yeah. I, I think that we would always want to be a two-person team. I like, don't get me wrong, I think we like collaborating with other people, uh, but I think we like being kind of our our duo. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I've had I've had a lot of conversations with people uh, from, you know, the, the solo devs to people who have multiple uh, members of a team, and it, it usually comes to that conversation around it's tough because scalability is you know you you can't do it with just one person or or a few people but you lose a lot of that creative uh you know focus because your mind is never going to be the same as another person's and it's hard to to say that you want one thing and for someone to do it and if it's not you for it to be exactly the way you envisioned it right like there's always going to be some creative liberties that someone else takes or maybe they just don't see it the same way as you so it's it's a really a challenge that you need to find someone who has either those same values or someone who has a vision that could be similar to yours but possibly a little bit better or close enough right yeah i mean what i would say is that what you really need is someone that you can trust yeah that you like really believe that they're coming from a, a place that, you know, they're aesthetic or what they have to say is contributing something that you really believe in. And you, and you have to know that like, yes, there's going to be times that like your opinions diverge or you're going to have a difference and there's going to be some compromise. But to me, the best collabor- collaborations are one where you can put full trust in the other person and you know that what you're going to get at the end, you're going to, you're going to be happy with. It's always right. difficult um, when you work with someone and you maybe you aren't as convinced that you think their aesthetic is something that's um, either in line with what you want or uh, is is you know compelling. Right. I think Up a lot of times what you want from a collaborator on. is something different than you can provide, which is actually I think a problem for me and Curtis. We're too similar. Uh, but <laughs> if we were going to bring in somebody else, uh, I think the thing I would be looking for is actually somebody that has some different aesthetic sensibilities that we don't have naturally right to complement it yeah exactly yeah i think that makes sense i think it's it's pretty hard though because you know especially if you're looking for the the concept of trust which i agree in but it's hard to find anyone that you would trust more than your brother right (laughs) your literal like clone yeah exactly (laughs) exactly By the way, I was born first, so technically Chad is the clone. I just want that to be publicly known. I like to think more of like an improvement, like like 2.0. 2.0, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, (laughs) not sure how to transition from that, but I'll try. Uh, The one thing that I did want to talk about before we we dive into the full game and start talking about uh, everything about it, Your studio also has one thing mentioned on the website that I thought was pretty cool. And I don't know if this goes into that program that you were talking about, Um, but you're also working on this open source language for generative music composition and performance. Is is that what you were talking about? Uh, This Necronomicon for the, you know, the little visual like experiences? Yeah. So that's uh, kind of an outgrowth of the stuff that we were working on for our PhDs. So, um, we had been working on these kind of software instruments. Uh, a lot of them were made in C or C++. Uh, but Chad actually started to develop his own programming language way back when called Lich. And uh, that was originally the compiler was written in JavaScript, uh, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and it was all like uh, web audio based. Uh, and then like over the years, uh, we just kind of like took that further and further and further. And now we've got this compiler. It's written in just straight C. It has like one dependency being LLVM. And uh, yeah, we make these kind of uh, generative, uh, algorithmic kind of musical things. 
cool. it's based on if you know Lucid or Haskell or Super Collider, yeah. uh, or the new one on the street is uh, Sonic Pi. Um, mm, haven't heard so that it's, one. It's kind of in that vein. There's a whole kind of live coding uh, bit of a genre coming about. Okay. Uh, and it's somewhat in that vein. Um, gotcha. The reason why I brought it up is because I wanted to know, is that what, you know, the actual game, are you using that in any fashion towards this game? Or is it something else like, you know, a Unity or something more uh, common with game development? So the uh, there's kind of two parts. The, the sound and the music is all done with our programming language. So all the music you heard used Necronomicon. Uh, cool. But the actual engine is Unreal. So oh, Okay. Yeah. Everything outside of audio is, is Unreal based. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. Well, that's super interesting, but we have talked a lot about, uh, you know, your, your history and kind of touched a little bit here and there on the game, but I want to give it some focus. Obviously that is the point of this show as well. Um, what, what would you say for those who might not know anything about recursive ruin? How would you describe it? You know, what makes it special? I'd say maybe the the first easiest thing I could say about it is that it's really just uh, a total mind fuck. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it's the kind of game that yeah. is going to fuck with your brain in the best way possible, I think. Right? Yep. So if you're into, box. yeah, <laughs> if, if that sounds like a pleasurable experience, like, uh, please, you know, think about playing our game. Uh, but to get like more descriptive about it. Uh, yeah, that blurb you had is uh, a pretty good description. You know, it's like this kaleidoscopic first-person narrative puzzle game. Uh, and there are kind of two parts to it. There's this uh, infinite world, and there's this strange, surreal story. So the infinite world, uh, I would recommend, highly recommend people check out the trailer and the yeah. screenshots we've got online. Because uh, it's kind of, I'm going to talk about it in abstract terms, but I think visually it's just immediately obvious what's going on. Uh, it's a little bit hard to describe, but the best way I could describe it is kind of like a, a Russian nesting doll. So if you've ever seen those where it's like a doll inside of a doll, inside of a doll, inside of a doll. So it's this thing that repeats infinitely inside of itself. And the entire world in this game does that. You can actually walk around and explore it infinitely so you can just pick a direction and just keep walking and it does this weird looping thing uh forever right okay. uh, so uh the story of it is following this despondent artist he's uh somewhat depressed when you first enter into the game but it's a bit unclear exactly why he's in the state that he's in and right. then over the course of the game uh you kind of piece together piece by piece uh, what has happened to him, how he's gotten to the place where he's at, and maybe where how he could move beyond that. So what I like to say is that like it's a puzzle game in kind of two aspects. There's the there are actual puzzles that you do, mechanical puzzles based on this infinite world, and in, you know that it's got these boxes and physics where you can throw something uh, and catch it from yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You can play something down, move around, and then get it somewhere else um but then also it's a puzzle and the story itself and piecing together and figuring out uh this person's life uh, and what exactly has happened that's i mean that's a great way to put it i think it's so funny that you mentioned the idea of just giving the message to the audience of you should probably just watch the trailer. I, I had something in here in my questions of like my notes to talk about. Like, I don't think I can do it justice to really explain what is going on without someone just being like, here, just watch this, you know, 30 second clip of things happening in, in this game because it is a mind fuck. You're right. Like, it's a great way to put it. Um, this, this, visual world this kaleidoscope uh trippy type world you know what really was the inspiration or what was the reason that you went this route in the first place so uh originally there i would say there's this concept of a strange loop uh that probably inspired us uh, to do a lot of different things mm -hmm. uh, we we first encountered it in high school in this book called goodle escher and bach uh, and eternal golden braid uh, written by Douglas Hofstetter. And in this book, he's got this concept called a strange loop. And I'll just summarize it as briefly as I can. Uh, uh, he uses it 
uh, in terms of like cognition and uh, consciousness, uh, but it's it's all over the place. Gotcha. Uh, and what it is, it's this idea where you travel forward in some hierarchical system, but you somehow arrive back where you started, um, which is kind of weird. That's the kind of mindfuck aspect of it. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's this weird arriving back where you started, but you never changed directions, right? So like some examples of that would be uh, video feedback, uh, the Russian nesting dolls I was talking about, or if you know uh, music theory, uh, modulation, key modulation also mm-hmm. does the same thing. Um, so way back then we read that, we loved that idea. We, we've always kind of done stuff in that realm. We've done stuff with feedback. We've done stuff with recursion, done stuff with strange loops explicitly. So uh, yeah, when I when we were thinking about making a game, this was like just kind of the most obvious. Honestly, it was kind of lazy, really. <laughs> and it was just like, what are we going to do? I don't know. The thing we do a lot all the time is this weird feedback thing. Yeah. It's, like, it's almost like your entire life is based on this feedback. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just thought, okay, I want to see uh, a world that nests inside of itself, right? What, like, we were, it was kind of an experiment to start with. Right. So I, I made this thing. And it was just totally hacked which by the way i recommend if anyone thinks about making their own game i would say come up with a cool concept and then just hack together some fake version of it real fast just to see does this even approach something interesting yeah that's why so so many game jams uh are the start of so many successful games because it's just someone trying something really quick and then being like you know we could probably make a better version of this yeah Totally. It, it's, I think, a great way of going about it. So I, I made this like fake repeating world that was totally hacked together. And then I just sent it to Chad. And uh, Chad, what, what did you make of it? I mean, to me, the thing is that it, it looked dumb. because <laughs> it, it was like a chair <laughs> and, and like a sphere and like a table or something like that. Um, so like the thing that made me feel like this is something that we should do is that you know that and it was all like debug textures and stuff is that like the the visual quality was obviously so terrible but like the concept was just immediately so striking so Mm -hmm. it just made me feel like okay there's something special here because i i I immediately had this kind of awe about this visual kind of language that was being communicated and immediately my mind started racing about how you could use that mechanically and what that meant aesthetically um, even though it was such like, you know, raw materials. So it, it seemed, you know, magical, uh, for sure at the time, which is good because before that we had tried some other things and they did not seem magical <laughs> at all. Well, I'm glad this one at least stuck. Um, what was like the next iteration? What did it look like when, cause you know, looking at it, there was obvious that that underlying there's something here, right? What was that next step that then made it more concrete of, yeah, this is something we should go and do? So, uh, I mean, the next thing I did after that was um, I got kind of enamored with how to realize the thing programmatically. So that that was kind of the first thing we tackled was just the technical aspect to making it work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had even longer to think about it now. And now I would I would actually do it completely differently. <laughs> but, oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe for the, we'll save it for the sequel, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, of uh, course. Uh, but yeah, so I would say the first thing that we did is just like technically realize it in, a, in an interesting way, in, in an efficient way, kind of based on um, a little bit like something like a garbage collector almost and, and these infinitely streaming linked lists. There's like this data structure that's inside of the, the system that's constantly it gives you the illusion of course that it, it runs into infinity but in actuality there's a you know a finite set of iterations that are around at any one time and it's kind hmm. of constantly shifting them around and doing things like that um, and then also what's central another central thing to it, it has this like transformation matrix that uh, i hope i'm not getting overly technical uh but <laughs> has this transformation matrix that de- describes the uh way that it nests inside of itself and that can describe, uh, you know, scaling, rotating, or translation. So uh, that actually ends up being one of the abilities that you have in the game. I mean, we don't call it that. We call it shifting the world. 
Right. But what you're, what you're actually doing is you're changing the transformation matrix that defines the way that the world repeats inside of itself. Oh. So it'll either like kind of like look like everything kind of stretches apart, everything kind of stretches together, everything kind of like turns in this weird way. Huh. Is that is that done in a controlled fashion? Like you're only allowed to do that shifting in certain areas. Like I'm, I'm thinking of the the difference between you know my experience with that ability versus another player's experience, right? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, when we first started, uh, I mean, I I think we made a common mistake of maybe having too many ideas, right? Too many yeah. things going on. Uh, so initially, it was I think way too complicated. What what we did at first was we had it to where you could put the world into all these various different transformational states, and the player had a lot of agency in the way that they could change the world. Uh, but it ended up just being I think too complicated, and it made the puzzles just overly obfuscated what you needed to be doing yeah and also was hard to control so what we ended up settling on was something much more straightforward where the world can only ever be in two states Mm. and you just press one button the right click button and it shifts the world between those two states and that ends up being way more intuitive for people uh, they don't really need to understand exactly like the transformational matrix or anything like that. <laughs> they just know the world is shifting in a strange way and it can be in one of two ways. Gotcha. Yeah, that was it was one of my questions too, because looking at the trailer and and the fact that it is this very trippy world that is a little bit tough to to kind of realize what's going on at any given point, especially from a trailer perspective, because it's you know clips constantly looping through. Um but like, what is what is the main mechanic that you're doing in this game? Because there's certain parts where the world feels like you're in control, but others that that aren't. Is it really just the you know the two shifts of it, or are there other mechanics that you're going to get throughout this game? I mean, there's there's a lot of um, the way I would put it is that the repeating world and the shifting is kind of like the environment, the world within everything else within which everything else lives. Hmm. And, and then there are all these other things which operate in that space, right? So one of the things that we have that works in that kind of mechanical space is, of course, we do the whole like cube thing. So you can pick up these cubes, you can carry them around. They're fully physical, so you can chunk them and they you know, physically simulate. But it's also weird because the cube itself repeats infinitely, right? Not hmm. just the world. But when you pick up this cube... There's all these repetitions iteratively repeating out, radiating from you that you're also picking up. Uh-huh. And when you throw it, you know, you're basically throwing, chunking uh, infinite cubes in a certain direction. This might so, be this might be uh, a dumb question, but do you have instances or especially when you were developing this where you would the game would end up breaking itself? Uh, you know, that's, so that's the, a lot of, a lot of the work that I did at first was to get it to that place where, where it would not, where it would be very efficient, where it would be stable, uh, where it behaved well. And, um, thankfully, you know, I have to, you know, not to be tooting okay, my own to horn or own. something. Okay, that's what this, <laughs> this podcast is for. This is, you're, we're shining a light on you. Come on. Let's see. I, yeah, I think I, we've done a good job of that. It's been very stable. Uh, you know, of course, every game has bugs, but uh, that's not been where the bugs have, have come from. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, what so, I would say is the the most difficulty that we got out of all of that was uh, physics. And the reason for that is that there's another ability that we haven't really touched on. It's not as important as the transformation, um, but there is a shrinking ability that the player can do. And the combination of... Uh, shrinking and uh, all these transformations and uh, repetitions, there can be some strange physics bugs that can come up because you can be holding something and shrink and it becomes small. And there are versions of the world that are that get very large. And sometimes you can end up like throwing something and it ends up, you know, bouncing off or, or getting into some crevice of some physical, you know, environmental geo. And maybe mm-hmm. it kind of like vibrates in there or like, you know, kind of like melds into the, the the environment in these strange ways. And so I would say mo- most of the debugging as far as that part of it was making sure that the, the physical geometry was as simplified as it can be while still being effective to make that sure that the, the physics collisions were consistent. 
Yeah, you could easily get, you know, NANDs and infinities and the, and the floating point values. It goes really large scale and really tiny scale really fast. I really wish there was an option for using doubles instead of floats. Uh, for it, Interestingly, on Star Citizen, we actually made that change. It's We made the whole Good. engine, all, all the transformations are 64-bit, but it was a huge endeavor. And to do something like, like that with Unreal would not be real. Yeah, it would be very useful for this, for, for that reason, right? Because the scale is so large and so small. Uh, but, you know, one big thing that I did is I made a, 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 a hierarchical state machine to, to represent the physical objects. And there's like 20 different states that it could possibly be in. And it's always like kind of rigidly following this set of rules. And that does a pretty good job of, of keeping the, the bugs and the, and the weirdness out. All right. All right. Yeah, I was just curious because I know that anytime you get into this weird area of repetition or something being cloned, you can uh, really put a lot of stress on a computer. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean... For a future project, I would I think the better way to do it, if, you know, would be to do something like uh, ray marching with sign distance fields, uh, where the iterations, the repetitions, aren't actually actualized as like separate physical objects, but instead they're kind of just implicit in the mathematics that define the the world. Uh, but you know, we'll save that one for the the sequel, maybe. Yeah. yeah who knows? Who knows? Um, I did want to talk about the. Just kind of the inspiration. We we talked a little bit about you know the 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 main theme from that story that kind of got you here. But from a game perspective, and a lot of these things that you're doing, you're you're playing into these physics puzzles. You're playing into you know the 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 narrative driven style to this game. You know, I'm seeing a little bit of things like anti chamber, portal, uh, maybe subliminal. What what were the main inspirations, whether it be video game or other forms of media that uh, really sparked the story and the gameplay aspect to this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the thing that I, I would want to make sure that people get is that uh, it definitely has inspiration from those games you said, like definitely Antichamber, definitely Braid, The Witness, Portal, Portal 2, um, all fantastic games. And like our game absolutely takes influence from. Uh, but our game is definitely doing something different. It's not of just a, It's not just a Portal game. Uh, it has this very surreal and strange story aspect to it. And that aspect is just as important. So, uh, I mean, it, it may not seem like that from the trailer, uh, but I would say they're on kind of equal footing. Okay. So in that regard, um, if you like the works of David Lynch, right, you're going to love the story going on in this game. If you like uh, David Foster Wallace or Gene Wolfe, uh, you know, R.A. Lafferty, if, if you like... Uh, you know, any of the uh, new weird authors, uh, if you like stuff in, in that realm, um, you know, even like maybe Stanley Kubrick, like uh, this game has something for you. Because <laughs> it, it definitely, I would say there are times, uh, you, you mentioned the word trippy, and I think that's actually a good word. Trippy, uh, mindfuck, surreal. There are times it becomes almost uh, dreamlike, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's uh strange quality uh and there are storyline reasons for that it's not just kind of weird for the sake of being weird i'm uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because i i did want to talk, touch upon that where you seem to be going through these strange desolate skyscraper areas these pyramid areas and then you're in just like a normal looking apartment like is this more of and and you can obviously shoot me down if this is too much, but but it also feels like this is more because the character references that they are this this artist. Is this more of you walking through an expression of of their artistic work or something to that nature? Um, the way I would say it is, uh, what it actually is, what's actually going on, um, is that you're this artist uh, who's in his apartment. So what you're seeing there is his his apartment. Uh, but what ends up happening is he ends up getting a package, a mysterious unmarked package in the mail, and he opens it up and, and he finds this strange unmarked video game that just has this symbol on it, which of course happens to be the logo for our game, Recursive okay. Ruin. So when he puts it in and he plays it, he finds a game called Recursive Ruin. So the storyline itself ends up being this kind of fractal thing where huh. you, the player, are playing a game called Recursive Ruin about this artist who finds a game and plays that game. And that game is called Recursive Ruin. 
So you're playing a game. Yes. <laughs> you're playing a game within a game. Uh, of course, as you play the game, things are maybe not quite what they seem. And uh, the things perhaps start to uh, fall apart a bit. We'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing to kind of expound on that a little bit is that um, to, to kind of explain the experience a little bit more is you're, you're kind of moving back and forth between what we call the mundane world and the kind of inner game. And the mundane world is that darkened, kind of depressing looking apartment. Um, and you're just a normal person and it's, it's, it's kind of real life. And he's got real problems that are not easily solved, but he's playing this game in this kind of mathematically abstractly beautiful digital realm. And he's playing as this character that has, you know, these lofty goals that are kind of heroic and he's trying to like save this place and he's this chosen one type of character. So there's a distinction that's being made and you're moving back and forth between this kind of inner game and the outer world and you're learning more about the character as you go. And certainly that outer world, since we're talking about uh, inspiration, does absolutely draw a lot from games like um, Gone Home or Dear Esther that are a lot more narrative driven. So you're doing a lot more kind of introspection and, and monologue and going through old things and learning about the character. So there's this kind of like dual aspect where it's kind of like half like a puzzle game and kind of half, uh, you know, like a walking simulator or something like this. But it, I would say it's more surreal as you go. Uh, it's not just looking at stuff in your apartment. But I mean, that's kind of like the initial starting point. Right. Would you say the the max the mashup between you know those two types of gameplay are roughly around the same time? Like, is this a, a good you know fifty fifty mix? That's a good question. I mean, part of it uh, is the difficulty of you know knowing exactly how long the game is writ large. Uh, with puzzle games, uh, it really depends on the player. The player, really, yeah. Yeah. So, what, for what some... would you say? Like, I, I'm sure some people have have gone and like play tested it, or you've you've trialed it out with you know certain people that you know. Have you gotten any you know averages or something to that nature yet? For the entire game, uh, or maybe parts in general. I mean, yeah, not for the entire game. Uh, we're going to be doing that soon. So we're going to be hitting our beta milestone, hopefully soon. <laughs> um, and then after that, we're going to be doing some kind of wider beta testing with more people. And, I, and then I think at that point, we'll, have, we'll be able to say with more confidence right. exactly how long it has worked. So we're not quite at that point. Uh, but I can't say that, you know, just anecdotally, uh, there are people who would play a level and it would take them, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um and then there would be people who would play it and it would take them two hours. Um, yeah. It's just different people have different experiences. And I would have said going into that, okay, like, I think this is about an hour, right? right. But then you're going to have people that, you know, they do it real fast and people who take a little bit longer for various reasons. Like they could also just be enjoying. Yeah. yeah. There's all sorts of reasons why. For um, sure. Yeah. Well, and did, when he says an hour, he's talking about a single level, not the whole game. Yes. Yes, of yeah. course. Um, did you have, cause I'm always fascinated by the idea of knowing how big a game is or how expansive a game is going to be, especially when you're first starting or, or working on something. Did you have a, a you know, a, a marker or a milestone that you said, like the game will be probably finished when it's at this amount of time, or was it more or less just, you know, the, the game is, is complete as far as like an estimated time when the story is told and, you know, from start to finish. You know, I would say this game, we probably did every, Chad and I joke about this, but we feel like we kind of did everything backwards. <laughs> uh, we kind of designed the game upside down. So I think that maybe the best way to go about it would be to have imagined those things up front. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, we're going to try that next time around maybe. Uh, <laughs> but this, this was like a very organic process. I'll just put it like that. So at first we didn't actually even intend there to be a big storyline element to it. Oh, but it just you. coming out more and more and more and it became more obvious that this is what the game wanted to do and this is what it really was it felt a little bit like you know excavating this thing huh. um so it's just what it wanted to be uh and so because of that you know it, it just became this large prominent part of it um 
yeah i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> no I, I mean it kind of does it, it it sounds like there wasn't really one it would just it it organically grew over time i i meant to ask this uh, how long have you both been working on this game so we i quit my job around 2016 but the game really didn't start off you know we didn't start off with this game we mm-hmm. kind of just quit i was a little bit uh you know unhappy with where i was working just because i felt like i wanted to make more artistic games and the games yeah. that we were making weren't quite what i was wanting to make gotcha so um you know i just took some time off uh to, just to kind of mess around and we just experimented with technology and we're throwing game ideas back and forth it was maybe not until 2017 where we really had this idea in place and we really started to work on it um in earnest well all right all right and and for that, I, I assume that also wasn't a full time endeavor during most of that time, uh, and possibly not even right now because uh, Chad is you know still working at a full time place. Yeah. So the way it worked generally is like I, I actually was full time. I've been full time. I mean, I've had some other responsibilities. We'll just say that I needed to do, but uh, okay. essentially full time. Uh, and then Chad's been part time. Uh, yeah, the entire way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, before we start uh, wrapping this up, I did want to ask one last thing about kind of the, the main character and the storyline, because I, I'm interested to hear that there's so much of a bigger piece because from the trailer, I didn't initially get that. Um, but there is a, 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 a specific quote that the character mentions where he says, how long should someone pay for their mistakes? Um, I'm super interested in, in that because it plays into this, you know, this depressing world, this, the reason why he's, he's, I guess, soaking a lot of his time in this game or, or whatever it might be. Um, and you can say no, depending on if this goes too much into the story, but can you tell me a little bit about that character and kind of what exactly is, is troubling him so much? Uh, I would say that you will have the pleasure of experiencing that uh, by playing our game. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it kind of that central question in some ways is kind of the question of the game. So when you first get in, uh, it's obvious that he feels like something is wrong mm-hmm. and he feels some amount of guilt. But what it is, is something of a mystery. <laughs> Very PR answer. Okay. Um, totally fine though, because I'm going to hit you with another question that'll probably feel just as uh, similar. The game is slated for 2022, I believe. Uh, and I'm sure you don't have an exact date, but uh, how far along do you uh, like is development going? How do you feel in general? Yeah. So uh, we're getting ready to hit our beta milestone with our publisher uh, and so that's going to, I would say right now, things feel very intense and hectic because uh, we're kind of rushing to nail everything down, get everything in, uh, you know, working with a lot of voice actors, mm-hmm. uh, you know, got a character artist, animator. Um, so after that, uh, it'll, I think, be a lot more about just uh, instead of finishing the thing, it'll be more about polishing it and yeah. just making sure it's as good as it can possibly be banging it around with players to see like what they get stuck on um and things of that nature so that's about where it's at right now very cool and uh i believe i know that this is is going to come to steam so for pc players are there any uh is there any interest in going to other areas like consoles uh i would say it just depends on how well the game performs gotcha yep so i would love to uh please you know player game and uh hopefully yeah hopefully we'll get there well that's awesome i hope then uh, a bunch of people play it so that others can enjoy it as well um i want to wrap this show up thank you so much to the both of you for coming on i have one final question that i want to ask for each of you and i asked this to to everyone you kind of already answered this in in part of it um but i always like to ask for advice uh from those who are in the indie space and for those listening that you know might want to become an indie developer or, or start out in the industry, right? Um, what's some tips or tricks or maybe just general advice that you learned along the way that you think might help others? I'll go ahead and start. I mean, I think what I would say is um, if, you're gen- if you're like really very serious about this and you actually want to spend a lot of time and money and take a huge risk and work on a game, make sh- like take the time up front to iterate and prototype 
and explore and experiment and find the thing that is really worth spending and taking that risk on. Um, make sure that it's something that you you are excited about and and you want it to be authentic. Uh, if if you're saying something or expressing something, you have an idea. It, it can be fun or emotional or whatever. If it's coming from a place of like genuine expression, I think you'll you'll find an audience. There'll be people out there that are going to be interested in it, but it may take time. It may take work to to find that. So, I, and I think it's worthwhile. That's a really vital part of it. What you don't want to do is is take one of the first ideas you think of and spend two years on it and then get to the end and realize that actually you don't like that idea very much or there's limitations to it or it feels forced or, or whatever. And then, you know, that's time is your most important resource. Absolutely. It's the most scarce thing that you, that you have. Um, yeah. And I would just add on to that a little bit because I think that's great advice. Um, uh, I, I think as well as time, there's another one, which I think is a little amorphous, which people don't really consider a lot, but at least for me personally, um, and I, I think probably for a lot of people, it's another very important resource, which is just motivation, right? So uh, it's kind of the same advice on the end, which is make sure you're working on something that you're really passionate about, you love and you believe yeah. in, uh, because it's you're going to have to get up every morning without anybody telling you to, right? Nobody's over your shoulder saying like, you have to do this. You yourself have to motivate yourself to go work on this. And there are times it's going to be really, really hard. It's going to be tough work. And if you even want to finish the thing, it's going to take a, a, a large amount of motivation. And the most motivating thing, at least for me personally, is just this feeling that this is something big. It's something important. It's something that I believe in and that I want other people to enjoy and experience. So that's what I would recommend. All right. I think that's great advice. I'm convinced you both sound super passionate about your game. I can't wait to check it out because it definitely checks all my boxes. For those listening, Recursive Rune currently in development, as we just heard. But if any of this sounded interesting to you, I definitely recommend you can go check out their Steam page. Make sure you wishlist the game so that once it comes out, you'll get notified, you'll be able to pick it up, and then hopefully it'll also come to more consoles as well for those who might have one. Uh, once again, Curtis, Chad, thank you so much for joining. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.